The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, anybody want to share what came up for you with either appreciation or gratitude? I um, just this year have go ahead so um, appreciation brought up two things one is kind of strange it it's what's happening in the stock market these days. <laughs> but the where I think I might be headed is something similar to what I'm thankful for, uh, what I appreciate about, my, about the world and my life in it. Um, but it's a, it's a difficult word, I found, I found it a difficult word compared with gratefulness or gratitude or thanksgiving or so forth. So that's what happened with appreciation for me. Okay, thank you. Appreciation felt um, like my heart opening and light and wonder. And um, gratitude, I was surprised, felt heavier, mm-hmm. kind of more in the body in a sense, although the appreciation was all heart, but and like a, a kneeling. There's the impulse to kneel or, mm-hmm. and to give mm-hmm. is more of a... Mm-hmm. So generosity... Attached to gratitude? Yeah, I guess so, or an urge, an urge to give. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Anybody else? Right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciation brought up the um, notion to me of appreciating the all of the complexity of causes and conditions that lead to every each moment and gratitude I um, associated immediately with all the difficult situations being having gratitude for difficulties what I would perceive as difficulties which actually seems like the future affecting things and bring allowing things to move forward in a positive direction or a beneficial direction I think referring to the difficult things is what started me thinking about appreciation. And I find, uh, in many ways, appreciation has more meaning for me than uh, gratitude. The green light's on, Maureen. 
Is, can everybody hear? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so often when I think of gratitude, I think of gratitude for. <laughs> and we can make a list of things that we're grateful for. In fact, sometimes people will do a gratitude practice that includes listing all the things we're grateful for. I find for myself as well as others that when it comes to being grateful for the difficult things, the things we don't necessarily want, that can be a bit of a challenge. And some people even think it's kind of silly. (laughs) Why would I be grateful for you know, a diagnosis or a death or whatever. And I find that appreciation, I can appreciate difficult things. That seems to have more meaning for me than, you know, I'm grateful for this illness or I'm grateful. Maybe maybe that sounds a little too new agey or Pollyannish or something but appreciating what it can offer me or what it can teach me um, feels a little more realistic, doable. I also find that, as I think you said, appreciation feels more expansive to me. Gratitude can be kind of narrow, especially when we think in terms of certain things, but appreciation feels broader, more inclusive, more expansive. And I found as I was reading certain things that gratitude and appreciation are often used together, sometimes interchangeably, sometimes together, gratitude and appreciation. And I hadn't really, I hadn't really realized that before. But uh, that that fits for me. So uh, maybe some of you know of this book, The Grateful Heart. It's um, a collection, daily blessings for the evening meal from Buddha to the Beatles. (laughs) Okay, one more. Thankful may I ever be for everything that life bestows. Thankful for the joys and sorrows, for the blessings and the blows. Thankful for the wisdom gained through hardships and adversity. Thankful for the undertones as well as for the melody. Thankful may I ever be for benefits both great and small. And never fail in gratitude for that divinest gift of all, the love of friends that I have known in times of failures and success. Oh, may the first prayer of the day be always one of thankfulness. So I I mentioned diagnoses and death simply because in my life, just in the last couple, three weeks, um, it seems there has been so much, so many diagnoses of cancer. 
of course, I'm at that age where (laughs) many people um, are being diagnosed. And, uh, you know, with one, one person is in his 40s and probably can have a cure and go on to live a normal life. Another friend is uh, about my age, a year or two younger, maybe. And um, is probably in his last days, maybe weeks of life. So it certainly brings the awareness of the blows, (laughs) the difficulties that we face in our lifetime. And how can we appreciate them? Maybe even at times feel gratitude. It's hard when we're in the midst of something, perhaps, to experience that. Sometimes it's only afterwards, looking back, that we can see, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't want that, but this is what came of it. So Thanksgiving is coming up, and... It's getting to feel more and more like a complex holiday. I mean, in a way, the idea of taking a day to be thankful, to experience gratitude, is very nice. On the other hand, the stories, the myths around the development of Thanksgiving... um, may not be so nice, may not... The truth, the reality behind the myths, I should say, uh, may not be... Who knows exactly what happened, but it seems that it's probably not what, what we've been told, what we've celebrated. A neighbor was telling me the other day they were going to a gathering, uh, Friendsgiving Day. <laughs> so a gathering of of friends um for many people you know the holidays thanksgiving christmas can be very very challenging to be with family um especially when family have different ideas and different uh realities almost it can be very challenging So I've been thinking what I would like to see is an International Day of Appreciation. (laughs) And I say international simply because Thanksgiving, of course, is an American holiday. Um, I think Canada also has a Thanksgiving Day. Um, But now uh, this country is, is really so full of of new immigrants, new people that for whom, you know, the pilgrim story probably has no meaning or very little. And wouldn't it be nice if the entire world celebrated an appreciation day? If we could all 
take a day out and appreciate. Appreciate each other, appreciate what we have, appreciate other life forms, other ideas. Um, Some of you probably know Eckhart Tolle. I received a quote from him a couple days ago. Uh, I can't remember if it was appreciation or gratitude for what we have right now is the beginning of abundance. It's when we recognize that what we already have is enough. And we're grateful for that, whatever it was, whatever it is, I mean. Um, That that begins the feeling of abundance. Abundance isn't when I get more, but abundance is right now. All of us in this room, I would dare to say, have enough. We live in a country of abundance. Um, We all may want certain things, but the reality is we have enough. We are probably all comfortable. And yet we get caught up, of course, in um, in the advertising, in the rhetoric, in the idea that we have to have more. We're not complete until we have this, or we'll be happier when we get this, etc., etc. And it's hard. It's hard not to buy into that, to say, no, thank you. (laughs) So somebody emailed me uh, yesterday, I guess, and said um, something like, you know, it's it's good that we Buddhists don't celebrate Black Friday. (laughs) And I wrote back and said, or don't have to, I guess he said, don't have to celebrate Black Friday. And I said, yes, we have Giving Tuesday to celebrate. (laughs) He didn't know about it. But um, I have found Giving Tuesday to be a wonderful way to celebrate both and to completely (laughs) forget about Black Friday. So I recently read an article by Tan Jeff, Tanisro Biku, and he equates gratitude with kindness. And he suggests that neither one can be genuine without the other. I thought that was interesting. I don't know that I would necessarily say that. But I do see how they very much go together. When there's gratitude, I think it can lead to kindness, just like it can lead to generosity. And kindness, of course, can lead to gratitude. Um, I think either one probably can be quite genuine <laughs> uh, without the other. But, it, but it's an interesting idea. I also read an article... Uh, about a branch of pure line, pure land Buddhism called Shinran, 
where the practice is simply being grateful. No meditation, not a lot of chanting or bowing or ritual or whatever, but simply being grateful. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? As a total practice. And, and the author said, you know, we're not asking for anything. We're not expecting enlightenment or anything else. We're just being grateful right now, right here, for what we have. And, of course, they do do a little bit of chanting because they chant the name of Amida Buddha. Um, And the idea with Pure Land is that that ultimately we get reborn or we get born in the Pure Land, which is the land of enlightenment. But, but I thought that was so lovely that just the practice of gratitude, just the awareness of gratitude and appreciation, a lovely, lovely practice. Anybody want to add anything? On that note, um, I have been thinking a lot about the Pure Land practice because that uh, practice that you uh, characterize with gratitude is uh, seems so amazing to me that you're not expecting something in the future when you die that you will enter this realm. You are already in it. The perception I have heard is that it is already here, just as we already have Buddha nature. So there is nothing to achieve, and so there's no necessity for meditation because you're not trying to um, attain anything other than, as you said, what's here right now. Recognizing. <laughs> What's here right now? Yeah. Yeah, very much like Zen that says we sit to express our enlightenment. It's not about achieving, it's not about getting that. We already are. And so we sit to express that awakening. Yeah. I thought of this as anticipating coming here today, so it seems like a good time. I just feel a lot of appreciation and gratitude for this little sangha on Tuesday mornings that all of you come and that I come and that our teachers come, whoever they are when we come. <laughs> and I just, it's just been a wonderful part of my life. So thank you all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Can you pass it up? that working? Um, Thank you for bringing up the distinction between, or the thought um, between um, appreciation and gratitude. I think they are 
intertwined and based on what various people, especially you were saying and some of the things you brought up, it feels like, um, especially in illness or negative, I'll quote negative things, um, appreciation feels more like a holding and gratitude feels like an expression outward, whether it's generosity or th- I always think of thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they go together a lot. And I think in uh, definitely in reflection, we can say thanks to things we appreciate that feel negative. During them, maybe not so much. Um, but I like the idea of holding um, and appreciating versus always having to, I must feel like gratitude is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and appreciation lets it just yeah. sit there, and it's almost seeing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like a platform to see things how they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that thought. I like the distinction, especially this week, mm-hmm. as like we all gather. <laughs> I like the idea of holding. Yeah. Also, we hold whatever our experience is. Yeah. And really see it, like, not as much at a distance, but really lean into it a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. So, right. thank yeah. you. I appreciate and that. Certainly not resisting, not yeah. pushing it away. But this is how it is right now. And then just sitting with that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I thought I would share with you a Jataka tale related to this theme. Um, do you all know about the Jataka tales? No? <laughs> the Jataka tales are a collection, I think there's 265 or something like that, tales of the Buddha in his former lives. And they're told in terms of animals. So this book is called Buddhist Animal Wisdom Stories. And they're a little bit like Aesop's fables in that they're stories of animals with a message, um, a moral, you might say, or just um, something to ponder and uh, particularly in relation to the ten paramis, paramitas. Um, it's said that the Buddha was developing the ten paramis through his many lifetimes in order to become the Buddha. So these tales often uh, involve the one or more of the paramis. So this particular one... It was interesting when I sat down with this book uh, several days ago. It seemed like I didn't choose this. <laughs> it somehow wanted to be told. So it's called The Mother Mouse. Long ago, in an abandoned village a few miles from Varanasi in northwest India, A mother mouse lived in a long, deserted house. The house had belonged to a wealthy merchant who stored a fortune in gold coins under the floor. He died without ever telling a soul about his hidden treasure. (coughs) 
The mouse had found the gold, but being a mouse, had little use for it, and she went about her business as usual, hunting for her daily food. On the outskirts of the village was an old stone quarry that was still in use by a single stonecutter. He was a kind, gentle young man, and the mouse observed him often and thought what a good and compassionate person he seemed to be. One day she remembered the great fortune of gold hidden in her house, and she decided to share it with the stonecutter. The next day she took one gold coin in her mouth and brought it to the young man. The stonecutter looked down at the mouse holding the gold coin in her mouth and asked with amazement, Mother Mouse, what have you brought me? She replied, I have brought you a gold coin for your own use, and perhaps you would also be kind enough to buy a little meat for me as well. I would be most happy to, said the stonecutter, and he spent a small portion of the gold's worth on a considerable piece of meat for the mouse. This transaction continued day after day, with the mouse bringing the stonecutter a gold coin and the stonecutter supplying the mouse with meat. But one day disaster struck. A cat caught Mother Mouse. Please don't eat me, pleaded the mouse. It would be a mistake. A mistake, replied the cat. How could it be a mistake for a cat to eat a mouse? That is what cats do, and I'm very hungry. May I ask you, said Mother Mouse, are you hungry just today, or are you hungry every day? An important question. I am hungry every day, of course, said the cat. If you eat me now, you will satisfy your hunger for today. But if you let me live, I will give you meat every day, and your hunger will be satisfied for many days, said the mouse. Well, said the cat, I will let you live, but you had better live up to your end of the bargain. So the mouse divided her portion of meat that the stonecutter brought daily and gave the cat half. Her luck, however, remained bad, for she was caught by a second cat. She ended up making the same arrangement, now splitting the meat three ways. Then a third cat caught her, and the meat was split so many ways that there was nearly none left for her. She grew thinner and thinner until she was only skin and bones. The stonecutter grew concerned over her appearance and said, Mother, are you ill? I bring you food every day, and yet you are so thin. In her exhausted sense, the mouse told the entire sad story. Mother Mouse, said the stonecutter, you should have told me this long ago. I can help you. 
the stonecutter took a block of the finest crystal and worked and polished it until it was a transparent mass as clear as air. He then carved a chamber down into the middle of the mast and polished it until it too was invisible. The stonecutter set the crystal block in Mother Mouse's old house where the cats always came to claim their share of the meat, placing Mother Mouse down inside the chamber. He positioned the block very carefully so that light would not reflect off the surface of the block and only the mouse would be visible. He then instructed the mouse that when the cats came for their meat, she was to insult the cats and make them angry. When the first cat came, he said, Mouse, where's my meat? I am very hungry today. The mouse said, Why don't you go eat some leaves? I'm tired of supplying a freeloading creature like you with food. This infuriated the cat. I won't be eating leaves today. I will be eating mouse, he cried, as he leapt with all his might at the mouse, completely unaware of the crystal block surrounding her. He slammed into the surface of the rock with such an impact that he was dazed to near unconsciousness. When he regained his senses, he was gripped with terror at the supernatural powers of the mouse, and he dashed out of the house never to return. In a little while, the second cat came for his portion of the meat. Where's my supper, Mother Mouse? I don't see it anywhere, he demanded. I decided you could supply me with supper tonight instead, you mangy alley cat, said the mouse confidently. The second cat bared its teeth and said, I know what I will be having for supper. And with his mouth wide open, he dove at the mouse. His teeth struck the surface of the crystal, cracked, and he fled with blood pouring from his mouth. The third cat also came for his meat and met a similar fate. All three cats were convinced that the mouse had great powers and they wanted nothing more to do with her. The stonecutter returned and removed Mother Mouse from the chamber in the crystal. She was so grateful to the young man that she showed him where all the gold coins had been hidden in the house. The awestruck man took the gold and the mouse to his home where they lived in friendship, happiness, and great comfort for the rest of their years. (laughs) So, what do you think about that? Does the idea of taking care of uh, the hunger for today (laughs) versus taking care of the hunger for uh, 
many days remind you of anything? You know the Christian story of you give a man a fish, you feed him today. Teach him to fish and you feed him for life. Or the Buddha taught taught us to to learn to not be so quick to satisfy our immediate pleasures, our immediate desires in place of the long term. It's so easy, isn't it, when something is right there to want to satisfy it. But <laughs> can we learn to, to be patient, to practice for the longer term benefit? So what else? What else struck you? From the story, I'm wondering whether the magic, whether the story says the magic occurred before the crystal block was cut by the stone mason. Or is the magic something outside of us, outside of the cat? And I'm inclined to think the former. That That is, that the... Cat, uh, the uh, mouse's willingness to share uh, first the gold coin and then the meat uh, it was actually the magic. And in that sense, I like the story a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting twist, the way the stonecutter... Um, sets up the trap for the cats, isn't it? Yeah, that was... Anybody else? And, and the, the cats thinking that, that it was supernatural powers that allowed this to happen rather than, you know, it was a setup. Mm-hmm. Also, the sense of gratitude. Um, the, the mouse was grateful to find the coins in the first place and saw that the stonecutter was a good man and, and shared it. And the stonecutter was grateful, so he in turn shared back with the mouse. And um, and the cats were not grateful for their <laughs> daily meal. <laughs> and, um, you know, they paid for that. Um, and then again, the stonecutter was again grateful and helped the mouse with the crystal um, contraption. <laughs> and, um, and the mouse was so grateful again that he shared more of his 
um, bounty, and, and they both lived happily ever after, basically. They were both in gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, that struck me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also what you said about hungry today versus fulfilling the hunger in the long term. And, and for me, it really resonated with just spiritual practice because so often I'm, I'm lazy. I, I do the easy thing today rather than, I, gosh, having that faith and that the spiritual practice will grow. And, um, yeah, I, I put it off so much. It's just an almost constant struggle for me, I guess. I'm not sure how to phrase it, but that probably makes sense to people. This is a very deep story. It puts me in mind of the story of Milarepa, and who went back to his cave one day, his meditation cave, and discovered that demons had taken up residence there. So he tried various techniques to have the demons leave, um, but none of his techniques worked, meditation techniques and magic and trying to overpower the demons and so forth. So um, finally, Milarepa jumped into the mouth of one of the demons and the demons was so shocked and surprised it disappeared. So there is a practice in Buddhism for demons which is that you um, recognize that demons are just phenomena of your own mind because they have no inherent existence. And then that will counteract the demons or just have them dissolve. So this story involves a clear, invisible crystal where you offer yourself to the demon. So the mouse is just creates a situation where the demon swallows the mouse and tries to swallow the mouse and is um, in that process of the mouse figuratively offering itself to the mouth of the demon, um, the demon is disempowered. So, this puts me in mind of cancer. That cancer seems like a malevolent force, and it is a malevolent force because, and it and because its mechanics is that it um, it overwhelms the body's ability to um, attack it. So by various tricks and and um, and very creative mechanisms that medical science is trying to unlock and disengage. But cancer is an opportunity, it seems to me. I 
they've been thinking a lot about cancer, that cancer is an opportunity for ascension because cancer is consuming and if you overcome the fear of cancer, then cancer has no power because death has no power and that's why uh, Buddhism recognizes and seeks the deathless state in Theravada Buddhism and in Mahayana Buddhism similarly. So disempowering death and by offering yourself to it and not being afraid of it is a Buddhist practice characterized by this crystal. That word disempowering stays with me. I think I think cancer is has so much power over so many of us. There's so much fear, and uh, and it is round death, isn't it? And being able to not be caught by that disempowers the cancer. I love what was just said and I wonder how one throws oneself into the mouth of the demon climate change I certainly don't have that answer but it's a different way of looking at the problem than I have so far considered. Yeah, that's an interesting question. If we were to throw ourselves into climate change, what would that look like? I struggled with that question just yesterday with my young adult son who I think is typical of a lot of young adults. Right now, they're just completely overwhelmed by uh, climate change, especially in politics, secondly. And so I talked about connectivity and compassion, you know, um, as a way just to sort of disengage with the feeling of being overwhelmed by there's nothing I can do, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, kind of feeling that he's having, you know. Uh, uh, so we tried to talk about just one-on-one compassion. And he's a very compassionate person by nature, so that is an easy in for me to, to reach um, and talk with him about that particular aspect. Uh, you know, I didn't feel like that was... The best answer, I don't know what it is either, but that's how I dealt with it yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was responsive? I think he took it in. Uh-huh. I don't think there is one answer. <laughs> I'm sure yours was just fine for that situation. 
and somebody else might do it differently in a different situation. But. And, and one thing that it seems clear is you're facing it head on. That might be part of it, throwing ourselves in, that we're facing it head on, you know, not trying to either deny it or <laughs> brush over it. Yeah, yeah, but it's real. It's in our face. <laughs> The Buddha said that the universe is constantly created by expansion and contraction. 2,500 years ago, quantum physicists are understanding or puzzling over the Big Bang and the multiple universes that are created by um, expansion, by contractions and expansions. There is an understanding among some recent astrophysicists that the sun is in a helical orbit in the universe, in our galaxy, or our set of galaxies, and that that orbit has the um, nature of creating more energy and less energy, and that we are in a process of the sun getting into a higher energy state and therefore causing climate change. So it may be that this is an astrological phenomenon and not just a result of pitiful humans um, creating more carbon dioxide through their little automobiles and cutting down forests. So um, that creates a much more um, cosmic perspective on climate change. It may be a little defeatist, but it puts things into a different perspective about our um, effect on the universe from our little samsaric position and what we are trying to manipulate in the world. And to that question, throw ourselves into the mouth of climate change. There's moments when... um, I can let go of the fear. There's no fear. And um, there's complete acceptance. 
And then what follows is appreciation mm-hmm. for all that is and this miracle. And even as we watch what happens happen, it's the same appreciation as we watch a sty or whatever, or birth or whatever. And I like the cosmic perspective. <laughs> We're all just surfing on the Big Bang, is what I think. <laughs> surfing on the Big Bang. There you go. I like the cosmic perspective too, and I very much like the idea of um, how do I say it? <laughs> to some extent, reducing the human arrogance. <laughs> Without, you know, without taking away responsibility. But um, but seeing our place, perhaps, more realistically in, in the whole cosmos than thinking, as we all do, you know, consciously or unconsciously, that we're the center of it all. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, um, throwing, throwing yourself into the mouth of climate change. I think Elizabeth did that, just being present with somebody who's suffering and being, staying present with their suffering of a, a child in their confusion about what's going on, that that is really, f- because climate change, well... I don't know, I'm kind of off the top of my head, but it's one form of human suffering. It's it's something that's causing human suffering, and there's so much, so many things that cause human suffering, that throwing yourself into the mouth of human suffering is being present, being there in the suffering, being present to how things really truly are, and that an impermanence and all of these things that are maybe at the root of what's causing the suffering around climate change is the anxiety about and the unease about um, impermanence and um, being a human being and the intense experience of it. There's one manifestation of the conf- being in conflict with other people, being disconnected from other people, not, the watching the, the people not be compassionate to the earth and to each other and to children and to, you know, that, see, it makes me cry, that what's very difficult is is to be with that suffering. Yeah. And I practice a lot so that I can be with the suffering of the world of and be a safe person for that. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of work to get okay with my cancer and my oh my gosh I'm going to die um, and things like that to be in a conversation like that with your son it's just so touching to me that that to me is kind of being in, being in the mouth of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. thank you all this brings us back to your to your mousy tail <laughs> where 
where the consequences of intense self-interest, like on the cat's part, was not good. <laughs> not good. It's, it's the consequences of a wider, in, more inclusive interest that generated good. You know, whether or not you're looking at it as sharing with just another person or a cosmic thing, it's once you, you, you stop just focusing on yourself and you open up a little bit, there's some doors there. So it's just 11. Anybody have a last comment or observation? (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea. Um, And... I think that's an interesting question. Or is it the stone cutter? Yeah. yeah. Can you repeat the Morgan's? Morgan, can you talk about Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. It was, were the cats greedy and delusion? Were the cats Were the cats greed, greed, hate, and delusion? And the crystal, the dharma, like your one's own practice, or, or faith, or, you know, Buddha Sangha, dharma, I like, I don't know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you? Come on. You know, sometimes at the end of a Jataka tale, not in this book, but I have others, it'll say, and I was the crocodile or whatever, and Ananda was the bird. <laughs> but this book doesn't say... <clears throat> and of course, it doesn't matter. You know, it's whatever whatever we make of it. Yeah. yeah. One quick last reading. Uh, I move through my day to day life with a sense of appreciation and gratitude that comes from knowing how fortunate I truly am and how unearned all that I am thankful for really is. To have this perspective in my everyday consciousness is in itself a gift, for it leads to feeling graced or blessed each time. Thank you for all your sharings, and happy Thanksgiving, or Appreciation Day, (laughs) or Friendsgiving.